Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. The Bible reading today comes from Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Hear the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I should have a little nifty handout for ease of uh, reference if you want to use it. Uh, We're looking at this long acrostic poem, as uh, Graham mentioned, and yesterday Ajad did uh, the first stanza and I've got the second. Um, It's it's the bait stanza. Uh, so, in, uh, in one sense, uh, today's sermon is brought to you by, brought to you by the letter B. Uh, so, the, the psalm's all about the Word of God, of course, uses a bunch of synonyms. In my particular stanza, you've got God's Word, His commands, His decrees, statutes, precepts, ways. And the big message of this bit is pretty clear. It's right at the beginning, verse 9a, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? Now, getting clean, like many of the Bible's metaphors, is one that's familiar in everyday life. And uh, um, most of us think being clean is a good thing, I hope, and uh, we regularly uh, wash ourselves. We do ablutions, as they say, um, or some people might say. And I suspect that we don't take seriously uh, the value of getting clean because it's so familiar to us. So I just want to kind of fill out that image of getting clean. Um, what are the times in your life when you needed a good wash? Happens to me once a week, not me, but someone else needs a good wash. When I pick up uh, my son from footy practice and uh, sometimes uh, uh, two or three of them get in the car. And if you're a parent, you'll know this, wet dog smell. <laughs> I'm serious, Yeah. People are nodding and they know what I'm talking about. And I, I look forward to the moment when, when he'll emerge uh, smelling differently. Um, the filthiest I've ever been was on a bushwalk in Barrington Tops as a young man. And uh, it was a week long and we didn't wash at all. And uh, it was kind of not so much dirt on skin, but dirt on dirt. And I remember well getting in the bath and the kind of sting that you have from the little nicks walking through the bush, but just such a great feeling uh, to finally uh, get clean. And there are times of life, of course, uh, where getting clean is important. We talk about um, someone, you know, if you go to a wedding or something, you see them outside, you might say, oh, you scrub up well. Uh, That that idea that uh, when you want to be presentable on a big occasion or meeting someone um, of higher rank or something like that, uh, you, you certainly want to be washed And I think the Bible draws on all these associations in our life with God. Now, having said that, though, uh, being dirty and needing cleansing is not that popular an idea in Christian circles these days. 
So we don't talk about holiness in a very positive way. I mean, imagine go, uh, if I did a seminar at some conference and I called it the path of purity, I reckon I'd get a pretty low turnout. So there are other ways, of course, of thinking about our life with God. We're enemies needing reconciliation. We're slaves needing redemption and freedom. Uh, we're far away, we're brought near, we're estranged, we're adopted into God's family. But the one we've got here is this idea of cleansing. And there's a very central one in the Bible, of course. So not only is God love, he's also uh, holiness. And uh, three times the Old Testament, you get that, uh, uh, that threefold, God is holy, holy, holy. And whole books of the Bible, of course, are devoted to this notion. So if you're reading through the Pentateuch, get to the end of Exodus and you get this amazing glory of God descends in the tabernacle and then you think to yourself, oh my goodness, how are we going to live with a holy God in our midst, right in the middle of the camp? And the answer is sacrifice and priesthood. And that's what Leviticus is all about. And uh, of course, the New Testament uh, resolves those with the Lord Jesus in his own high priesthood and sacrifice on our behalf. So keeping clean is a big business, uh, a big deal uh, for believers. Um, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, it says in Psalm 24, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. And uh, um, um, hearing your prayers depends on being clean. According to Psalm 66, it says, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord would not listen. And perhaps most uh, pointedly, Hebrews says in chapter 12, Make every effort to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So there's a lot at stake in staying pure. There's, uh, the, the point is uh, your intimacy with God depends on it and your prayer life depends on it. So how to stay clean? Well, thankfully, the Psalm's pretty straightforward, really. It tells us, verse 9, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to? to your word. In verse 11, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So as I've got with the first heading there, living by God's word keeps you clean, hiding God's word in your heart. And I think the Christian faith does put a premium on words. This can be taken too far uh, where you end up thinking the most holy people are the smarty pantses. It's just not true. Um, but it is true that we worship a God who is a God who acts and speaks. And staying clean is dependent on hearing, remembering, and heeding his word. And words in human languages are God's way of cleansing and transforming us, which is not to be taken for granted. The New Testament actually agrees. It says the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And hiding those words in our hearts is what keeps us pure. Now, unfortunately, not only is holiness out of fashion, but scripture memory is out of fashion. Back in my day, we would uh, memorize scripture as a regular thing, and it was just an ordinary thing you did. And uh, some of it I still remember. So, for example, when I'm feeling greedy, I'm checking my super account, and I'm thinking, oh, I better cut back on my giving and make some extra contributions. I say to myself, Colossians 3 5. Greed is a form of idol worship. Or I might say Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Uh, the Lord is with you. So those kind of remembrances can make a difference and they can keep me on the path of purity. It doesn't always work. And we'll 
talk about why it doesn't always work in a moment. Another example would be pride. Um, uh, I uh, uh, have some achievement um, or uh, um, not very happy to say this, but someone else isn't doing so well and I feel superior. Uh, I can say to myself, what do I have that I did not receive? 1 Corinthians 4. Um, and if I did receive it, why am I boasting about it? Um, or I can remember from James, God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. Or if I'm tempted uh, to lust, I can say to myself, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the lust of the flesh, uh, Romans 13. Or I can say, treat the younger women as sisters in all purity. I forget where that is. Where's that? Anyone know? Just checking scripture memory in the room. Say again. 1 Timothy 5 verse 2. Well, then I just saw it in my notes. <laughs> so the sword of the spirit can slay sin and can keep you pure. Now, the idea, though, let's step back and think about how this sits in our culture. Um, the idea that you need someone to teach you, that you should pay attention to words from someone else uh, to live your best life, use that kind of jargon, it is really countercultural in our day. So expressive individualism is this idea you look inward to find yourself and you reject all external authority. So this idea that you, you need someone else to speak and to teach you it is, is very um, much against what our culture says today. Um, but the fact is that being social beings, we're constantly being taught one way or another by things around us, whether it's uh, from friends or family or media or the government or education. Uh, David Brooks, the New York Times uh, uh, columnist, puts it well. He says, the information passed along hundreds of years ago, we call culture. The information passed along from decades ago, we call family. The information offered years, months, days, or hours ago, we call education and advice. But it's all information and it flows from the dead to us and to the unborn. The brain is adapted to the river of knowledge and its many currents and tributaries, and it exists as a creature of that river the way a trout exists in a stream. Our thoughts are profoundly moulded by this long historic flow. None of us exists self-made in isolation from it. So I think this idea, it's one of the follies of our day to think you can ex uh, reject all external authority. And the reality is those living the expressive individual life end up conforming to all sorts of other patterns. You can even sit on an aeroplane and hear a message to live according to someone's word. So uh, during uh, the break, a number of us went over to the UK uh, for a, a, a conference, a Tyndale conference, and I, I love travelling on a long flight. You just two of my favourite things, watch movies and eat. That's basically what you do. And uh, one of the movies, and this is a spoiler alert, I'm going to tell you about this movie. I mean, he, uh, Judd ruined uh, um, the, the farm one yesterday. Not that anyone's going to watch it, but, yeah. But uh, <laughs> The Fablemans. Has anyone seen The Fablemans? Yes, it's a brilliant movie. On a plane, there you go. Steven Spielberg. And uh, it's, it's kind of semi-autobiographical. It's about him as a young man in the uh, early 60s and he's... Uh, obsessed with film, and uh, we'll have the first slide. So here you've got uh, uh, the ad for it, and the three people you can see there are Sammy, which is the young uh, uh, 
uh, Spielberg, his mother Mitzi, Michelle Williams, and father Bert. And Bert's kind of looking a little bit nerdy and unattractive, and that's kind of intentional. So I'm watching the movie, and uh, uh, it's, it's quite moving because he's taking all this film of everything, and then he goes over it one day and he sees his mother having a, an amorous moment or two with their best friend. The next slide. Um, so Bert, uh, no, Benny, uh, that's him there, the uh, uh, Seth Rogen. So this spoils the relationship between Sammy and Mitzi, and then finally um, uh, uh, Sammy tells Mitzi what's happening by showing her the film, and it's such a moving, and I was crying on the plane, which is really embarrassing, of course. Uh, but uh, then she says to him this, and this is where the, the word was given to me about how to live. She said, this is the most selfish thing I've ever done because she ends up leaving the family uh, to be with uh, Bert. I know, to be with Benny, sorry. Uh, but I've got to do this now because, Sammy, you do what your heart says you have to because you don't owe anyone your life. Yeah. Now, I was hoping that Sammy would reply, well, Mum, out of the heart comes all sorts of evil thoughts. <laughs> Matthew 5.19, including murder, theft, false testimony, slander, and in your case, adultery. <laughs> uh, but he didn't. And I was also hoping that he'd reply, well, actually, Mum, you were bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. Um, but uh, you can see my point. That... Uh, um, you know, I was enjoying the film and like it or not, that's the word I'm storing up in my heart as I'm flying uh, thousands of feet above the air in a shaking chair. So the point of our stanza here is reflected in the prayer of Jesus. He says, and I've got this on your little handout, sanctify them, make them clean by your truth. Your word is truth. So I think the, the Lord Jesus himself knew this. And uh, uh, we should take it to heart. Uh, scripture memory, though, is not enough because I don't always do it. I store things in my head that don't go anywhere near my heart. And you can have God's word there and not heed it. So living by God's word keeps you clean. That's true. But for God's word to keep you clean, you have to learn it and love it, as the next two bits in our stanza tell us. So the point here in verses 12 to 14 is that learning here is not like other learning. The word of God is not just a book. Verse 12, praise be to you, Lord, teach me your decrees. It's a very personal thing when we read God's word. We hear God speaking to us. It's God teaching us. There's a relationship there of a child and a parent. And in verse 13, the word of God is not just commands, decrees, statutes, precepts, ways, and all. The, it's all the laws that come from God's mouth. Isn't that beautiful? So I'm not sure if that occurs elsewhere in the psalm, but this intensely personal way of describing God's word. God's word comes from his mouth. He speaks directly to us. And as such, we are to learn humbly before him. James 1.21 says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. And we also learn there, friends, that the desire to learn more of God's law requires a teachable spirit which begins with a proper regard for God. See verse 12, praise be to you, Lord. 
So that's the posture. That's the kind of uh, stance we have to have if we're to take God's word, not just into our heads, but to, as our first uh, verse 11 said, uh, hide God's word in our hearts. And then in verses 12 and 13, we also move from the mouth of God to our own mouths. Did you notice that? Uh, With my lips, I recount all the laws that had come from your mouth. Here we see a fundamental tip for preaching. So there's lots of tips for preaching, of course. Um, I break most of them. Um, So you've got to have an intro that gets people's attention, previews the sermon. You've got to kind of transition between the main points. You should rehearse before you get up. You've got to have illustrations that engage all the senses. You need to land somewhere. Make sure you've got a, a way of finishing. I rarely ever do that very well. Um, you've got to know your people, you've got to know your culture, but here's the big tip from the psalm. You need to preach regurgitated truth. Okay, so so here we're thinking of a bird, yeah, and, and not, not our, our friend the bird, but an actual bird because notice in verse 12 and 13 it says, teach me your decrees. And then it says, with my lips, I will recount. So hidden in between there is the idea that you welcome the message and you live by it. And, and this, friends, is the most important thing about preaching. You need to preach and teach regurgitated truth. We, we don't stand aloof from the message. In fact, we're to imbibe and uh, take the message ourselves to heart. And not to live by the message you're preaching or teaching, of course, is to fall into hypocrisy, one of the Lord Jesus' great targets in his day. And it's to leave the path of purity. Indeed, learning and living by God's word keeps you clean, but both depend on loving God's word. And learning from God prepares us to preach and teach others God's word. So to hear from God's mouth is such a privilege and help that in verse 14, we rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. We see its great value and worth for our lives and living God's uh, word becomes our greatest treasure. Living by God's word keeps you clean. Learning God's word keeps you clean. Thirdly, loving God's word keeps you clean. Verses 15 and 16. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. So memory is not enough, of course, and it uh, is true, as verse 11 said, we have to hide God's word in our hearts. So hiding God's word in your heart only works if you seek God with all your heart. Uh, So when we read God's word, we ask him to teach us and uh, we want to take uh, to heart what he says. So the, the psalm actually is a lot about the heart. The word heart uh, appears 15 times. And my family has heart history. Uh, both my grandfather and father um, basically, well, my grandfather died of a heart attack. My father had three open heart surgeries. So I've got my own history with this. And, and there's not a bad end to this story. I don't have a heart problem that they found yet. So just don't, don't be disturbed. But I remember one time I said to Nat, just before Synod some years ago, I said, I'm in a bit of a chest pain. I don't know what that's about. What do you think? It's been going on for a few days. She said, you idiot, go to the doctor. So, <laughs> well, you know what a GP does when you go in and say, a bit of a chest pain. It just rings the ambulance, straight like that. 
suddenly I'm in the ambulance on my way to the hospital. Yep. It's, one, it's embarrassing. Two, it's a little bit disturbing. So there are a number of ways to ascertain the health of your heart. You can just take your pulse. You can use a stethoscope. You can have what's called a stress test. There's even nuclear medicine, believe it or not. But the gold standard is an angiogram. Yep. Where basically they shove a camera all the way in. You don't want to know. And uh, I had the gold standard, and thankfully uh, there was nothing uh, to worry about. Now, Psalm 119 is the angiogram of heart analysis. The whole of the psalm is like the gold standard heart examination. Blessed are those who seek God with all their heart, verse 2, verse 7. I will praise you with an upright heart, verse 36. Turn my heart towards your statutes and not towards selfish gain. Verse 58, I've sought you with all my heart. And the heart is uh, uh, the seat of the desires and the emotions and probably the will as well. But in our idiom, it's more about uh, the desires. But that still works, I think. So in verse 36, as I mentioned, it's God's word set over against a desire or something else. And in verse 14, we value God's word above great riches. So, friends, how's your heart? Do you value God's word above riches? Are you hiding it in your heart? Uh, when you dream, are you dreaming about other things, about your conquests in life, the great story you're living, um, about uh, satisfying your desires in one way or another? Or is the ultimate desire to see and know God as he truly is, the one that drives your heart? The way to pay attention to God's word and not neglect it is to delight in it to see it as it really is for our good, leading us to the good life, to the good, li uh, the good God. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. Uh, to stay on the path of purity, let's be committed to loving and living God's word. The stakes could not be higher. Uh, Hebrews said, as I mentioned earlier, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But the Lord Jesus put it even better, uh, which is the last verse on your handout. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God.